Hey, this is Daniel. Thanks for listening to DIY Money. If you haven't already, be sure to give us a five-star review on iTunes so your friends know that they can learn from the show. Also, follow us everywhere on social at DIY Money Podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to check out the video on YouTube. We've got some awesome bonus content there. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of DIY Money. DIY Money. Back again, Daniel. We're back. <laughs> we didn't go far. We, we talked about we talked about my world right now, so what's yeah. going on in your world? Uh, I saw some interesting news headline this okay. week. Uh, by the time people listen to this, it'll be like two weeks ago. Uh, but did you see Fidelity 401ks offering, I think it's just Bitcoin. I don't know if it's cryptocurrency or just Bitcoin. Oh, wow. No, uh, not not all Fidelity 401ks, but I think uh, they're moving with certain select plans. So like an employer has a plan. They hosted it, say, a Fidelity or a Vanguard or something. And mm-hmm. Fidelity is allowing the option for uh, Bitcoin in some of their plans. I, I didn't really understand all of the minute details. Interesting. Uh, I presume, so usually employers have to pick the fund lineups and things like that. I'm also not really sure how they're actually offering it. Yeah, like an ETF or like a, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so there's a lot of details that I didn't quite see in this particular article, but I thought it was interesting um, because, well, I mean, it's it's a very speculative asset. Um mm-hmm. Uh, you could say that for a lot of investments, but I mean, it's it's not. We've talked about on the show, you know, the difference between um, you know gambling, speculation, and and investing, and and we've kind of put Bitcoin in that sort of uh, speculative bucket of you're you're just kind of buying it, hoping that someday somebody else will pay more for it, rather than it having some kind of earnings, cash flow, et cetera, like a typical investment or a bond or or something like that. So, so I think it's interesting. If if our four hundred one k offered Bitcoin, would you would you put any percentage in that? I think at my age, I I probably would. It'd be super small, maybe, yeah. maybe 2% or something mm-hmm. like that. But just to have maybe some exposure to like see what it does. diversification. Just yeah, sort just of like, like a little bit of a diversification and, and see what it'd be like. See if it's yeah. non-correlated. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and there's always the option of six months, a year, two years down the road taking it out mm-hmm. um, and just rebouncing into something else. But, uh, but yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, I wonder if they'll put limits on it. Yeah, like I wonder if they'll say you can't invest a hundred percent because there's a lot of um, red tape around something like a four hundred one k because it, it's really created as a retirement plan for the future. So uh, usually you don't see like big caps on you know you can only put so much mm-hmm. into a particular investment in a four hundred one k. You just have an investment lineup and then you choose how much you want to put into them. But I wonder, and again, I don't, I don't know all of the details on how the offering works, but I wonder if it's like you can put in you know up to five percent or whatever. Yeah, uh, or if they're allowing people to put 100, percent it would be yep. interesting to uh, to know how that fleshes out. That'd be uh, very interesting. Very, it cool. could really make or break your retirement with the historical volatility that we've seen in something like a Bitcoin. Each day I'm closer to being cash of the future. Not in your wallet. I'm in your computer. Oh yeah. I can't imagine being in, like, later on in life, in your 50s or something, and having <laughs> huge exposure to Bitcoin that goes yeah. up and down 10% on a weekly basis. As a financial planner, if somebody came in five years from retirement <laughs> and had, like, if we start 75% in Bitcoin, it would make 
it would make an interesting discussion. So oh, we'll goodness. see if that's kind of the next era of the future. But anyway, All right. well, we, randomness. We, we have a good question today uh, from Kim that's kind of talking about retirement accounts and, um, and rebalancing and what that looks like. So let's get to our question. D-I-Y! Hey, Quint, Daniel, and Logan, or I guess we can call you all the DIY trifecta now. This is Kim from Tennessee. I'd like to hear your thoughts on rebalancing a portfolio. First of all, why is this necessary? It goes against everything in me to take money from a high-performing fund and put it in a lesser-performing fund. This seems the same as rewarding the lazy. Also, if you recommend rebalancing, how often should you make that move? All right, before we kind of get into this, I got to give Kim a shout out because he asked us, well, one, he said the DIY trifecta. I liked that. Trifecta. Saying. I did like play, that. Play on horses. Yeah, exactly. I, I like that a lot. Like, Kim also offered us and, and asked us to send our uh, send his $25 Amazon gift card to charity, basically to a humane society or an animal shelter somewhere close by. So I thought that was pretty cool. And, uh, and we'll definitely do that. That's great. All right, so Daniel, to get into it, first of all, can you just define rebalancing and what that looks like, um, and and just kind of give us an overview of what that is. Mm-hmm. So, in really simplistic terms, uh, terms, let's think about if you are in a seventy percent stock, thirty percent bond portfolio, um, just as a case in point, uh, you're investing that portfolio, but over the next year. Uh, stocks go up 10% and bonds go down. Let's just say bonds stay even. Okay. Um, we're not going to do the actual math here because it would actually <laughs> be really difficult to, to do that quickly in my head because I didn't prepare and make a note. But let's say, for instance, that you know your stocks go up to 75% and your bonds are now at 25%. I know that's not the case given the information I just said, but let's just for argument's yeah. sake, yeah, yeah. say that's what happened. Well, your intention and your entire financial plan was built around being in a 70-30 portfolio with the volatility and the returns that come from that. Now you suddenly find yourself in a 75-25 portfolio, which is not inherently bad. It's actually not that massively far away. So the returns that you're going to get and the volatility that you're going to see, you know, it's not going to be like night and day. It's not going to be vastly different, but it will be different numerically to an extent and what will happen eventually is is things will uh either revert to their means so a part of your portfolio will lose money and the part that was losing money will eventually make money or in the case of something like risky assets like stocks or more volatile assets like stocks and if you were in a very conservative say bond allocation that that's getting mostly just a fixed percentage then over time Naturally, your barring big bear markets and pullbacks yeah. over time. Naturally, your stock portion will just grow and grow and grow larger and larger and larger, and your fixed income portion will grow or bond portion will grow smaller and smaller and smaller by nature of the fact that their returns are just massively different. Right now, that's in a static world. Obviously, you're going to have up years in the market, down years in the market, and anytime you log in and see that, you'll see sort of varying. Uh, aspects of that. The other thing you have to keep in mind is depending on uh, how your contributions work. So if you were to utilize, say, a robo-advisor, uh, Wealthfront, uh, Betterment, Schwab Intelligent Portfolios, things like that, 
even an investment advisor like us, uh, when you put in $1,000 into your portfolio, odds are they're going to buy what's most underweight. Mm. They're not just going to go, okay, you're at 70, 30, so we're going to we're going to take that $1,000 and put 70% in stocks, 30% bonds. They're going to go, well, what do you need to buy to bring you closer in line? So as opposed to rebalancing, uh, they're utilizing any of your contributions to balance out. Same thing actually in reverse. If you're retired and you're pulling money out, an advisor or a robo-advisor or whatever it is will typically sell what's most overweight to free up that money to then send you money out. Now, the differences is with 401ks, 403bs, et cetera, a lot of times you have an investment uh, allocation and a contribution allocation. Yeah. Sometimes these are lumped into one thing that you change the setting on. In so many retirement accounts, those are two settings. So when you want to update your allocation, you have to actually update it twice. And so what they're actually going to do is if you put $1,000 in, in most of those platforms, they will actually invest 70% in stocks, 30% in bonds, regardless of what's happened over here. You can't see what I'm doing with my <laughs> hands. But what, regardless of what's happened over here uh, in your investment balances. So if you're over-allocating stocks, they're going to continue to buy at that allocation. I don't think I've actually answered your question because I forgot what your question was. No, I but mean, that's roughly what that's like a general overview yeah. of what rebalancing is doing. It, it's it's uh, selling off a little bit of what uh, has made money and buying a little bit of what is not made money to keep you in line with what you chose to be your investment objective. Yeah, it kind of keeps you on track for what your long-term goals are as well as what your long-term allocation is. And it doesn't just happen. Now, the main point of rebalancing would be those big, broad asset allocation levels. So your stock side versus your bond side. But I think Kim was also getting at, okay, well, if um, the NASDAQ has done really well on your equity side, maybe you're invested in um, the Qs or something along those lines, and that has done really well for four or five years, it's going to be a larger portion of your stock portfolio than maybe something else that you had in there. And none of this is recommendations, but if you had uh, gold exposure or something like that in the portfolio that is not done as well as those high-performing tech stocks, if you don't rebalance, then you don't gain the benefits of a year that we've had so far, like where the NASDAQ is down almost 20% and gold, I think, is up like 5 or 6%. So rebalancing not only in your asset allocation between stocks and bonds, but also rebalancing that portfolio in general is kind of an important strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you're invested in uh, things like equity stocks, et cetera, you're invested in you know large cap growth, large cap value, small cap, mid cap, potentially growth and value segments in both of those, uh, probably some international and emerging markets, maybe some real publicly traded real estate, like real estate investment trusts. Um, what other from an equity standpoint? You might have more niche sort of, yeah, tech or various things like that. Um, all of those things are going to, they'll move similarly, but not in conjunction with one another. Mm. So one might do well while another does poorly. And, oh, commodities you could be invested in, like you said, gold, et cetera. Um, as they sort of zig and zag, they might move similarly. So, okay, during a pandemic, most of all of that went down together because everybody wanted cash. But under normal operating conditions, sometimes international stocks do well while U.S. stocks don't do well. U.S. stocks will do well and international stocks will not do well. 
And sometimes it's not just for a day or a week at a time. Sometimes it's for years at a time. So sometimes U.S. stocks can go on a run for three to five years where they just trounce the performance of everything else. And then eventually they sort of simmer down and and cool off because in doing so well, then uh, there's a sort of a skewedness of value uh, or a skewedness in investment opportunity between you know, one market and another, and then money starts to chase another market. And then that market does well while another market sort of stays more stagnant. And so by rebalancing, what you're ensuring is that you are going back to the mathematical portfolio that you desire to be in, and that hopefully is aligned with your financial plan. So you yeah. like the reason that you pick a portfolio, like a 70-30 portfolio, and then that 70% of stocks is segmented into different places, and that 30% bonds is segmented into different places, is hopefully because you ran some type of like goal analysis and math that said that this portfolio, you know, through various time periods, looking back and um, maybe projected forward, has had this percentage return and this percentage volatility, and that fits with your plan. If you've not done that, then I guess rebalancing is prudent but not yeah totally necessary because if you don't right. care yeah if you don't what know your portfolio looks care. like over time if you just want to buy and hold something and allow it to run its course that's okay but for most people that's for instance we're working with their portfolio plugs into their plan yep and the desires to keep that portfolio in line with the expectations of the plan yeah so um if you if you think about it too, you kind of lose your diversification without rebalancing. So you had mm-hmm. diversified into these different areas. As some go up and some go down, then you kind of lose some of that diversification. I love one of the charts that I look at constantly is what does a diversified portfolio look like compared to everything else? So compared to all the things that you mentioned. And that diversified portfolio stands tends to stay in the middle as far as returns. It's not going to get the highest return every year, but it's not going to get the lowest. Mm-hmm. Um, so maintaining that diversification through rebalancing. But I've had several clients that ask me, how often do you have to rebalance? Do you rebalance every month, every quarter, every year? What, is, what does that look like? And what do you think is the best method for going to rebalancing? Personally, and I mean, based upon the research that I've done and, and what I would personally do in my portfolio, is as opposed to uh, doing time horizons, time durations, I would actually look at percentage deviations. Okay. So if I was in a stock bond portfolio, uh, it would matter less to me whether or not the calendar year was turning or the quarter was turning, and it would actually matter to me more am I outside of sort of what you would call tolerance bands on that particular segment of the portfolio. So if I'm, say, 70% stocks, I would look at, for example, maybe... 10% in either direction or 20% in either direction. So let's say 10% in either direction. If that was going to be sort of my rebalancing trigger, then if my stock position got more than 77% or less than 63%, then that would tell me, hey, I want to rebalance that. I want to sell or buy accordingly. And in that respect, the bond side would be, uh, relatively speaking, you know, seven, uh, 10% plus or minus as well. Um, which would be uh, 33 or 27. And so if either of those got really skewed out of position, then I would uh, rebalance. Uh, I would potentially look at rebalancing. Uh, the reason why calendaring rebalancing personally would matter less to me is is there's really no, there's no correlation between the calendar necessarily and what's happening in 
my portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what I want to do is, is I, I prefer to be selling or buying things when they're deviating from their means, mm-hmm. from their, uh, where they might revert to, um, rather than because it's July. Right. It's not necessarily just rebalance because you mm-hmm. haven't rebalanced in a few months or something like that, but to rebalance when actually you're getting out of line of what you were hoping for and what your goals and what you set mm-hmm. as your allocation looked like. So I think those tolerance bands can change based on the person. Yep. You know, if you are um, retired and you want to make sure that you're really preserving what you have and you have a 50-50 portfolio, 50% stocks, 50% bonds, maybe that looks different for you. You want to have tighter tolerance bands where you're rebalancing more often. Or maybe not. Maybe you're comfortable with uh, larger swings. So I think it really is dependent on on who who's has the portfolio. Yeah. And remember that the role of diversification is to, to ins- not ensure, but to um, attempt to get a level of return with a lesser degree of risk. So when you diversify, you're participating in something that modern portfolio theory uh, put together and said uh, that you can kind of maintain a certain level of return uh, and yet reduce your portfolio by adding in some non-correlated or loosely correlated groups of assets. So like U.S. stocks, international stocks, bonds, real estate, et cetera, um, By adding them in, you're not reducing your return as significantly as you think you are, but you dramatically then reduce the volatility because they're going to move in different ways and you're going to rebalance them back. So the point of rebalancing is to ensure that that volatility number stays relatively low compared to the return number that you're getting because most of investing is about trying to maximize your return with the lowest degree of volatility possible so that you can sleep better at night exceptionally well you completely nailed it great all right well let's wrap it up um thank you kim for sending in your audio question and we'll definitely be sending over that contribution to the local humane society we haven't decided which charity we'll be doing that to yet but we'll definitely be sending it to an animal shelter humane society uh at kim's request which is really awesome kim sent in an audio question to us at diy money podcast Podcast at DIY Money. Oh, goodness. That was off. Okay. <laughs> Podcast yep. at DIY Money. Send in those audio questions. Keep them about a minute long, and we'll use it on the show. All right. Thank you so much, friends. Um, the secret to wealth is very simple. Live on less than you make. Invest the rest. Do so for a very long time. Make it a great one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the show. If you want content delivered to you regularly, be sure to follow us on Instagram at DIY.money. And if you want your question aired on the show, be sure to send that to us and you'll get a $25 Amazon gift card. This show is for entertainment and educational purposes only and is not intended as personal financial advice. Before making any financial decisions, please do your homework and consult a financial advisor as needed.